This is a podcast from Rep Sounds, the new platform from Dundee Rep and Scottish Dance Theatre. Hello and welcome to Rep Sounds. This is the very first podcast and what we hope will be a series coming from Dundee Rep and Scottish Dance Theatre. My name is Andrew Panton, I'm Artistic Director of the Rep and I'm really pleased to be joined today on Rep Sounds uh, with members of the company of The Children, which opens at Dundee Rep on the 3rd of March. I'm joined today by cast members Emily Winter, Barry Hunter and Irene McDougall, lighting designer Simon Wilkinson, set and costume designer Karen Tennant and stage manager Michael Heisman, uh, with Kieran Martin doing the honours uh, on sound. So brilliant to be joined by you all today. Hello, welcome to Rep Sounds. Hi. Um, I'm going to start by just maybe asking uh, everyone, just just you know, we're all working on the children at the moment, and maybe if anyone would like to talk a little bit about their first awareness of the play, um, and anything that struck them about it, maybe before we started working on on the piece, anything awareness, it was first done in twenty sixteen, wasn't it? Well, interesting enough, I didn't have an awareness of the play until lockdown, and I think I remember saying to you, Andrew, that. Um, I just I was reading a lot of plays during lockdown and I'd sent away for that one because I thought it sounded quite interesting. Read it, came back and you said you wanted to read the play The Children and I said, oh, I've just read that, I've just read that. It's a brilliant play. So it was just a coincidence really. But I hadn't heard of it before that. But the, the reason I kind of was interested in it, I thought it might be something that's... I thought it would be interesting to maybe to do something that has maybe overtones of something big happening to a society. And so I'd been looking for plays about that and the children seem to fit that. So It's interesting, isn't it? Because the, it, there's so many resident themes, Irene, and, and the kind of coming out of, or certainly at the stage we're at with our relationship with the pandemic, there are resonances within the play, that kind of slightly future uh, setting and slightly altered, although we, it's still the the life that we know and the existence that we know, but it's just very slightly altered. And I suppose in lots of ways, that's the kind of life we've been living in, in the last couple of years. Emily and Barry, other, you know, the other two members of the cast, it's a three-hander. Any thoughts that you had while we've been working on it? Does that resonate with you as well? Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't know of the play at all until until we did the, the reading of it. Um, and I think, you know, right from that that first read through, because we were reading lots of plays at the time, we were trying to um, trying to find some material, but also there wasn't a great deal we could do at that point in terms of performing. So we were coming in and read, taking that time to read some plays. And uh, and I think all of us were just immediately struck by just it's, it's really it's really well written. It's it's there's a, an immediacy to the language and there's a lot of overlapping in conversation, which is, as we are now discovering, is really hard to learn. <laughs> um, but but actually it just, it gives a, a very naturalistic feel and, it, and there's something really delightful about that to play. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Because that's in some ways, it doesn't happen in all plays, does it? But what it does create is a world that we recognise because people... Uh, human beings don't necessarily wait for somebody to stop talking before mm. they stop talking. Unless it's a podcast. Unless it's a podcast, that's true, yes. <laughs> but let's just let's break that rule right now. Let's yeah, all yeah. just talk with each other right now. Let's absolutely talk about each other. But we talk a lot about, uh, a lot when we're, when we're working on dialogue about when the, the moment when you, the character thinks is and when they speak. And they can be two different points, can't they? And so that kind of, that's when you start to get really great dialogue is when you're working at the thinking point. But because these characters um, behave like normal people, not like they're in a play, they think and speak at the same time, don't they? Is that is that difficult when you're when you're working on the scenes, or is it a different kind of? 
I've got a bit of a cheek in some respects to answer this question, but uh, because I have got less of it than the other two for sure. But what I, even just as an observer, having watched the first however long it is before the character I play arrives, just watching it, I mean, it's an absolute joy when it just crackles along and it's so... It is so natural and it's so much already in your heads, mouths, bodies uh, that it's that point where actually at times almost, and I know the script well enough now to know that you're not going off script, but it almost sounds like it could be kind of spontaneously being made up in that moment for the first time, which is obviously the reason for it. But there are times where I've watched it and gone, oh, I think Irene's gone. Oh, no, she hasn't. That is actually exactly the script, exactly at that point. Emily comes in over or under that. And it is, it's, I think it will be really exciting for an audience just to kind of witness that. Because, I mean, although a lot of productions, you do get people kind of coming, you know, right in on the end of lines to have this overlapping um, dialogue uh, written that way and then performed that way, I think is um, is, a, is an absolute joy, but not easy. Yeah, it's not easy. And, and it's very clear. I mean, I've seen other scripts do it as well. I mean, it is that kind of thing. It's written that way. So you get, you know, a sentence and halfway through a sentence, you get a slash, a sort of forward slash. And that tells whoever's speaking next that they have to come in. But it is a bit of a, you know, it does blow your mind slightly. Mm-hmm. And you can see the panic in each other's eyes sometimes. <laughs> What's fantastic, though, is that, the, you know, the human ear is absolutely adapted enough to be able to take on all that information, the two different sentences that are happening. You hear them both. Yeah. You hear everything that's been said by both of them. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, I don't think there's any time where all three of us can talk over each other. No, um, no, she never went that thankfully. far. Thankfully. Uh, <laughs> but it is, it's, it is interesting where you kind of go, oh yeah, I, I got all that. Uh, and it means you can get, you know, <laughs> two sentences out in the time it would normally take for you to do two. For the price of one. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. There's value for money right there. <laughs> so um, the physical world of the piece, it's set in, in, in one room, isn't it? Um, Karen, you had the, you have, because I'm, I'm talking past tense, we've not opened yet, so we're still in the process. We're about to go in, we're about to go into tech, but tell us a little bit about your process up to this point. How do you go about, um, you know, in general, how do you go about conceiving a set? But for this production, what were the particular challenges? And Yeah, well, it, well I read the script <laughs> and I didn't know the play at all uh, uh, to begin with. So it, it's, it keeps revealing things in the script, so it was really interesting to read. And I, w- I did no idea what was going to happen or where it was going to go the first time I read it, which today I watched the first run through of it and it was I felt exactly the same watching it for the first time. It's like, oh, it keeps you going, it keeps drawing you in. It's like, what's going to happen next? Uh, but I've, I've stayed away from my process. Um, the Yeah, and I, I, reading the play, trying to find, obviously talking to the director, talking to the people you're working with, um, but trying to find what the overall... Um, purpose or meaning or what's underneath it all and trying to get a whole feeling about something. Um, there's very specific directions in the play about the the, the set. Um, Is that usual? No, it's yeah. not. Uh, so you've got to follow that. And I don't know whether to give away the directions at the moment. I don't know whether to tell everybody. I think you can do it and then anything that's like a spoiler, we can edit out. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, the most... A specific thing is the whole room is set in a slant. Um, it's, it's on a rake. Uh, so you've got to start the whole thing from there. Um, and it just See, as a structure. I, I can tell you do what you do for a living that you're not an actor because you're getting mic notes on how you I'm not paying attention to your mic. Yeah, yeah. To the mic you're not a secret karaoke it's not queen. Natural. Yeah. <laughs> it's not natural. Yeah, um, yeah so I... 
I researched the place it was supposed to be set in. I looked for references of the internal spaces. Um, and I also looked for references where things like this had happened before, and specifically Chernobyl, um, and found some interesting graffiti there, which we've used in the piece. Yeah, I mean, it was, I remember looking at some of those references early on. It's it's, it's still traumatic because a lot of the references are, are Chernobyl as it is now. Yeah. But the trauma kind of, you know, bleeds through yeah. the, the, the year since the, since the event, doesn't it? Yeah, the landscape, the graffiti, uh, what's left there. And that, that kind of, everything's kind of rotten. <laughs> everything's uh, decaying and rotting away. And there's something about this play underneath it. That's what's happening. I'm trying to get, and I hope we've managed to do that visually as well as uh, in the words. How much as a designer, and this can be talking about the children or just in general, do you have to think technically when you're designing and how much has it got to be about the feel and the aesthetic of what you want to create and then you're handing over to other people to realise it technically? Oh, oh I think it's both. Okay. I, think, I think you've got to think of everything and then when I get stuck, I speak to other people, <laughs> people that know more than me about it. Um, but yeah, you've got to work in a team, definitely work in a team with it. And I might have crazy ideas and somebody will say, oh, oh wait a minute, that you can't do that. And Akeem, so talking about working in a team and a creative team, I suppose a key team member for the designer is the lighting designer. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that relationship? And then I'm going to ask Simon to tell us a little bit about the, the work on the children. But first, what's what's that relationship between set design, well, set and costume, you, you do both, but yeah. and, and lighting design, how does that work? Well, I've worked with Simon quite a lot, so I think we've got a relationship already, which is always good. But if I'm working with people that I don't know so well or haven't worked with before, I think it's important to have all these conversations at the beginning and share the vision and make sure that we've both got the same vision and we're both working towards the same thing. Uh, but I think with Simon, I've got a bit of a shorthand, um, so we can quite quickly get to the same place, I think. I hope I'm right in saying that, Simon. <laughs> I think that's yeah. true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's, it's very important because if you, if you don't work together and your ideas start to clash, then you're not going to achieve um, what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. Have you ever had a situation, I mean, obviously not with Simon Wilkinson, but have you ever had, <laughs> have you ever had a situation in the past when you've designed the set that you're like, really? And you obviously no names and no names of shows, but then yeah, you, I can when you've when you yes. <laughs> yes, I have. Yes, and I then have. you get to check and you go, what are you doing? Yeah, I, and, it, and, some, and sometimes it's because it's, you can't see the set or you can't see what I've done, <laughs> I've done, which sounds terrible. But there's been a couple of occasions where it's been so dark or, or things that I think that are important are just actually disappear because it's so, it's not been lit. <laughs> or it's been lit too much. That's the other thing that can happen. It's almost like washes things out and it loses an atmosphere. So, yeah, it's very important to try and work together. Do you, you obviously enjoy working together and, and Simon, this is a really creative process. I suppose you need to see a set before you can think about lighting or do you, is there anything you can do first when you're reading a script? And I, I think every process ends up being slightly different. I mean, this, this actually is quite unusual for me because it's a while since I've done, well, it's a while since I've really done anything, but excluding <laughs> the pandemic, it's, it's a while since I've done something that is a room. Um, the kind of plays that I end up lighting a lot are ones which happen in many, many different locations and where 
the lighting often works to define those locations as much much as the set does. Um, Tay Bridge that I did here pre-pandemic is a perfect example of that. Um, whereas with this, because it's all in one room and it's quite a natural room for the vast majority of the show, it's quite a different process of thinking about lighting. Um, so I kind of, I often have ideas when I read the script and then you go and you have a conversation with the set designer and it's often very, depends on where they are with their process. Sometimes the set designer will know exactly the world in which the piece happens. Um, and other times uh, there'll be much more of a free-for-all where there's where, where we create the world together. And I suppose Glory on Earth that we did at the Lyceum is a perfect example of that, where that was a very sculptural set with lots of very sculptural locations, uh, but sculptural lighting and kind of non-specific locations where we created all of those worlds together with a combination of pieces of scenery and pieces of light. So, so yeah, I think every piece kind of has a slightly different process. I know it's actually been a while since I've done such a naturalistic thing as well, since I've done a room. <laughs> I think it's probably yeah. the same for most of us, actually. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah. Yeah, so because just what's been happening in our lives here and for me elsewhere as well, it tends to be uh, an awful lot more sort of representational moments and... and uh, as you say, Simon, you know, you know, being taken to somewhere by by a lighting um, change or whatever, and likewise with the, the set. So it's it's kind of joyous in a way to kind of go right. This is the house that we live in, yeah. and uh, and these are the these are the, the edges of it. We can't go beyond there. We can't do that. Or you will plunge to your death potentially. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, not too wet. You may get a bit wet. <laughs> It is very unusual to be to be just in one place yeah. throughout a whole in a whole play. I mean, we did. I mean, four or five years ago now, when we did August Osage County, we had a whole house on stage, you know, and so we had all these different rooms, but just one room. It's quite scary. <laughs> I, I think the last piece that I did that was quite so specific about its location and single location was the Weir. Where yeah. we're very much just in one room. We've we've been using the word kind of naturalism and realism is another word they're kind of closely associated, as opposed to uh, an altered world or a high style world. Or you know, how does that impact on choices when you're working in a naturalistic environment? I, I suppose you could even call this piece like kind of uber naturalistic in a way. It's so much about detail. I mean, um, Irene, you spend a lot of t time kind of doing very kitcheny things, very domestic things. I'm going to ask Michael about that in a minute because that has mm. massive implications oh, yeah. for the stage management department. Before we, before we come to you, Michael, <laughs> like what, 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 what does that feel like? Is there a different way that you approach the world? I don't know if there's a different way you approach the world. I know as, as, um, as props and actors, it's always a funny one. Um, and when you're actually having to make something that has to be eaten or um, sort of something like that, and there are specific times you have to get things done by, um, what I find fascinating is that what you do perfectly normally at home, you know, doing several things, talking to people, maybe on the phone while you're cooking your tea, um, you know, all this, that and the other, is that you suddenly become a complete klutz uh, on stage. And you need to go through that stage. You absolutely have to. Um, and then you get the wonderful stage management who kind of, when I say things like... Could you could you wipe down the potatoes with a paper towel because they're a bit slippy? <laughs> That's the name of the game. You know, yeah. it generally becomes That's things it. like that. Um, I'm also just looking at your fingers here that are covered in plastic right now. <laughs> um, yeah, so I did yeah. cut, cut my finger with a bread knife and I cut my thumb today with the... Um, the tuna tin. Uh, but that's going to happen. We've got plasters on the stage now, so it's fine. Um, I mean, it, 
all those things are naturalistic. Yes. So, I mean, you just, you just do them and you, you know, people are going to eat them. So, you know, you, you kind of have, have to do it as, 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 as certainly as um, hygienically as blood as free as possible as, as, as blood free as possible <laughs> as Emily pointed out she could actually see blood on one of the plates today kind of thought well I'll avoid that um, <laughs> makes it sound like it's a bloodbath it really isn't um, and I could see it, it could, I think probably in rehearsal it I mean, I, you know, I stopped quite a lot, didn't I? Certainly last week, I was going to say, no, we have to work out when this is, and I have to know when this is, and I have to know when this is, because it's about attaching it to the script. And when I said not forcing it, but the script will tell you as well if that works or that doesn't work, if it's a natural thing to do or not a natural thing to do. And because she breaks up, because Lucy Kirkwood has this very natural thing that a bit like I'm doing now you know you, you start with one sentence and then you go off somewhere else and you go off on tangents she does a lot of that um and if you do have a lot of stuff to do in the kitchen then it's quite useful um to maybe go and do something just as you're having a check or change the thought and that gives you the you know the different phrasing or stuff like that so I am very consciously aware of trying to do that. And so the little bits in the run that maybe aren't quite still there means I haven't quite settled on how, how, how that is yet, but nearly. And that just takes time, doesn't it? You can't fast track that. You've time got, and you've just doing it. it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, time and doing yeah. it. And actually, yeah. you, to begin with, you do it kind of, you know, bit by bit. But now we've got to the stage where it has to be done in a run. You have to find out what, what that is. So, yeah, just doing it now. Anyway, that's enough of my kitchen experience. <laughs> my, my, Michael, you've got a large responsibility for making this kitchen experience uh, realistic, livable, eatable, repeatable on a daily basis. Uh, all with a smile, if I might say. Uh, sure, yeah, yeah, of course. But what, what's that like? I mean, tell us a little bit about stage management is it is covers so many different aspects, but what, what's specific to this piece, would you say? What, what are the challenge of this piece? Um, it's, again, similar to the, the design side of it. It's um, been a long time since I've done a show that is in one place happens kind of in real time as well it's you know as it happens it happens um so there's no jumping around um the objects that we're needing to get for them are real objects most of the time i'm 100 percent of the time i think in this um but also then with the acting company working in the room as irene says you, you need to associate an object with a particular moment to then build up that memory and, and make it work um, so we can't be too sluggish on getting you that thing at that moment for you to work with. Whereas normally we might have a, a bit more time to actually research it or, or find alternatives with this. It did feel like there was, um, right at the beginning, it was a let's get everything we possibly can for you to play with because you, you need to get comfortable or know you're uncomfortable with what you've got currently so we can change it. And the food stuff, again... With food on set, it's it's a now I think I'll look back on this one. It's a luxury when there's nothing edible on the stage, uh, <laughs> because there there is a large amount of um, food prep required for this. When you then watch a run like we did today, and it feels like it's just a moment that's going by, but you're knowing in the background, you know, I had to boil those eggs or that kind of thing, um, and you think about how much we've agonised over when we should um you know when we should buy bread 
um, to make sure we've bought enough bread and when we should defrost it or something like that. Um, and then we don't eat it. <laughs> yes. But it blows by. The, the, the show is amazing and it doesn't matter. But the point is there is a bit of process in there. that um, it's, it's the fun challenge part of the job, but it is also uh, for this, it's like you can't drop the ball. I feel like because there's a whole lot of people are waiting for the right thing at the right moment, and uh, yeah, I've I've loved this one though. Oh, good, not yeah. done yet, not finished no, I yet. Know, I know, <laughs> not finished Best yet. Still to come. And you, so generally though, the stage manager, which is your role, and there's mm. a stage management team, isn't there? There's deputy Absolutely. Stage and the DSM, the deputy stage manager, would normally be in the room the whole time. Yes. And you're working quite often with the ASM, the uh, assistant stage manager, and you respond to rehearsal notes, don't you? And that's your kind of communication about what's happening in the room yes i love rehearsal notes as much as i like show reports because they're written in a kind of sort of convention which is quite um how would you call it traditional perhaps so you might get rehearsal notes saying something like uh ms mcdougall uh-huh. Uh, requires a, a different kind of tuna. Yes, <laughs> or, or exactly. Like and then you have to sort of interpret what does that actually mean. Uh-huh. So then you have to speak to someone else and go, "What is that about?" And then you have to actually what that means. Can it filter through the rehearsal notes? Can you yeah. tell us a little bit about that? It doesn't have to be on the children, but have you ever had some kind of weird rehearsal notes that you're like, "What are they doing in the rehearsal room?" I can actually give you two examples from the children. I quite enjoy. Great. Um, the first most entertaining one we had recently was um, the rehearsal note was just um, what was it? The wine was a big success. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what it was. And, and that, to read that was very pleasing because that, as much as a, a, it sounds like a flippant comment, but if anything, it was like, oh, good, everybody upstairs is happy. It worked. Yeah. Um, Everyone and then, upstairs is pissed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we, we also, again, it was, we, in the background, agonised over that to make sure it was the right colour and all that kind of thing. And also, you, you'd been drinking water for quite some time. So to switch it out, it was it was good to then know that it worked um, it's very flavoursome and let, let us into a moment, secret what's in the rhubarb wine then uh, so it's, uh, parsnip, parsnip wine rather sorry we, um, we so parsnip wine turns out looks exactly like uh, tropical diluting juice with a tiny bit of peach uh-huh. tiny tiny oh, and, the peach is <laughs> yeah. and I did research trying to get parsnip wine just because I felt like you guys might want to try it in real life but turns out I think you have to make it yourself if you want it. it's not a sellable thing Um, the other note that I got from you directly actually which um so it's just public consumption absolutely (laughs) yeah no in in the background it was like oh I failed um but it was about the tuna um because the the request initially came in the notes of uh jarred tuna and uh we were in the process of trying to source that. It actually turns out not as easy to source locally as, as we'd hoped. Um, and as is the case with the process, time passes, things move quite quickly. Um, and uh, you came up to me one day and were like, don't worry about it, the tin seems to be working, it's okay. Um, and in the back of my mind, I was like, I really was, I'm, I was gonna get that. I was gonna get that. You were gonna get that jar. It just wasn't that day. <laughs> but the rehearsal notes are always, they're, they're great because yeah, it's a, a formal way of communicating that there's always background context to that you are actually often aware of, but it is a, it's a record for us to, we, we go through them all every day, make sure we're keeping up um, to date on them and everything. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, the, uh, for the rehearsal part of the process, it's the lifeline between the rehearsal room and us making sure we're doing a right job. And then we've got something to speak to Karen about and make sure that we're getting, they've asked for this, how do you actually want it? That kind of thing. And again with this, because the acting company need 
to work with it. We then have to put all this pressure on Karen saying, what, what we'll get as quick as we can, what can we get? <laughs> oh, and also, it was the quickest so when uh, Irene brought her own knife in to show us what oh. kind of knife she wanted, which she produced to me at, during a fitting. She brought out her bag, brought out this six-inch knife to show me. Pink knife, it was pink as well. Yeah, but then, it? didn't you tell me after that yeah, that you took a photograph of it? Because I'd been in a fitting, I hadn't done my flies off. Yeah, so you, you, so there was a picture of me holding the knife with my but, trousers undone. undone. Yeah, it's not a good <laughs> That's how glamorous our lives are. <laughs> what you don't know is Irene always takes a knife to her fitting and, <laughs> just in case in case she doesn't like what she's been given to wear yeah, yeah. so yeah, yeah. It's, it's, so it's a funny it's a funny point not funny but it's an in, possibly interesting point in the process this, isn't it because we've just this morning done our final run in the rehearsal room with a brilliant rehearsal set again down to our fabulous stage management team so thanks for having that but and now the next move is into the theatre and that has different implications for all of the departments around the table actually I mean would anyone like to kick us off with what what this jump is? It's, as a director, it's it's really exciting point. I mean, I absolutely love it because you start to see all the components come together. And I always think about well, the whole rehearsal process is a is a playground. But when you get into tech, it really is. If 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 every if every, if, if I've done my job right, it can be a playground, and we can all all the departments can play together. Um, does everyone feel like that? Or <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Uh, well, no, and it, it was actually interesting. We were we were allowed a little sneaky peek yesterday. We popped down just to have a little wander on it, just with it bare, but basically just to sort of see, you know, how much space we had and what angle it was at and all that kind of stuff. So it's always nice to kind of get that. So like when you we do arrive there on Monday coming, that we don't kind of go. They never told us about this bit, uh, or whatever. So that is, and I, for me as well, it's always, you know, it's the next step in the in, in the journey, and it is very exciting. But it's also kind of slightly petrifying because everything that you've you've kind of been working on and towards for the last four weeks suddenly just seems to leave you for a thankfully short spell, and then you have to kind of find it all again a little yeah. bit. But I think there's a there's a reason. Years and years and years ago, we were doing um, a show uh, as a kids show, um, uh, the Elves and the Shoemaker, and it was on a it was on a very slow revolve, um, and they brought the revolve up and up to the um, rehearsal room, and it was just m me and John, and underneath was was uh, the Elves, but it was just me and John Buick uh, in the in the main bit. But it moved, yeah, and it moved really really slowly. And this was way down. I mean, this was kind of at the very end of the rehearsal process. And we really knew what we were doing. We got onto that revolve. It started to move slowly and we went to pieces. Mm -hmm. Because I think what you do is you hook onto a space. You hook lines. You hook your world becomes that space. And so when you move into the theatre, that will become your world but it isn't your world when you first go into it. The, the actual the set, because we've been working on a set, particularly this one, because we've that kitchen has felt like home. Um, so it's going to be interesting moving in, and I think it just takes that couple of days just to kind of reorient, and then you could never go and do it. We well, could do it somewhere else, but it would have the same effect. Yeah, yeah. So you definitely hook it on, I think. Yeah, no, it's, that, that that really resonates. And conversely, Simon your department in lighting can't really do anything until tech. You yeah. can imagine and we can talk in abstract, but it's probably the one, even sound we can bring into rehearsals, set we can, costume, all of that. We can't really with lighting, very occasionally we might, yeah. but, but generally tech is your time, isn't it? I, I think there's always something terrifying about a technical rehearsal as a lighting designer, because it's really the first point that what's in your head actually becomes shared with other people. Um, 
Because as Andrew said, it's very difficult to have meaningful conversations about light. You can talk in generalities, but actually being specific about lighting is, is really difficult. And especially if you're working with somebody you haven't worked with before, different people's language about light can mean very different things. Everybody's got a different idea about what colour blue is, for instance. Um, so it ends up being, certainly those first few tech sessions are the points where you realise whether what you had in your head matches what everybody else thought that they were going to get or not. Um, and one of the joys here is that we've, we've all worked together before. So hopefully those miscommunications are less likely to occur. But yeah, that, that when you pull up the first cue and you kind of go, is, is this what you were thinking? Um, is often exciting. But I also love it because I love that the, th the thing for me is about bodies and space. And I really don't enjoy lighting empty spaces because I think that the thing that makes light is the way that it enhances the physicality of the performer on stage. And so getting to do that in tech with the actors standing in the space and catching them at particular angles and, and watching you guys work out how to work with the light as well, I think is a fascinating process. Um, so I love that moment where it all comes together. I was just thinking about that, that, what you just said about we've all worked together before and I was like nodding and nodding and going, so actually reflecting, Karen and I have never worked before, but I actually don't feel like that. I suppose that that's a good thing. Yeah. I hope that's a good thing. It's yeah. a good thing, yeah. <laughs> I know. So I was nodding, well, yes, we've all yeah. worked together before, yes, we've I all worked together. I well, feel like we, I have. We, we started to, but then it, last Christmas, but it didn't happen. That So part, we've kind of worked through part of the process, but we've never done a take together so that'll be interesting tell us a bit about that story because i was gonna um, kind of segue us on to the last couple of years because we're now oh. all experiencing coming back over the last what i suppose six months and, and making shows together again but the, the period time before that we were doing things and working together in different ways but let t just before we go into that just tell us a little bit about that that, well, that show that never happened well well there's but also before that christmas before christmas i was yeah. working with irene yes in measure for measure and we, it was designed, it was already all ready to rehearse, I think it was the, the week before rehearsal. Uh, it was, uh, it was the, we were about to start rehearsal on the Tuesday and um, it, it was the Monday night. The Monday. Yeah, we were, we I know. were pulled, yeah. Yeah, I came, I came up for a meeting on the Monday and by the time I'd driven home, everything had shut down. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so... That set was never realised. It, it was it, it was it was half built. It had been the wood was all cut. There were sections of it all sitting in the the workshop, which it sat there for a year, I think. Uh, but it's now all been used up. I'm glad to see all the wood. Um, yeah, but yeah. yeah, it was so disappointing not to because we were so near. And it was quite an exciting show as well. So. Maybe at some point it'll happen, Irene. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. And it's a very unusual thing to to do the pre-production, start to physically make a show, cast it, isn't it? What did that What does that feel like? It felt like jumping. It felt like you got the edge of a precipice. I don't know. It, it was weird. It was a bit like kind of um, suddenly the like a. Um, like a sinkhole opens in the road or something because you're going on this road and then suddenly it drops and it just it was horrible. Some people, some people were so disappointed. It was just very. Hard. It was hard speaking to a couple of people actually because they were terribly disappointed. So yeah, that that was that was weird, but in a funny kind of way. I mean, I felt there was a kind of that we, again. It's that weird thing is that a lot of the, obviously the actors hadn't started the rehearsal at that point. But as you know, as you well know, Andrew, and everyone knows here, there's so much work and chat and conversation and everything goes on before you even get into the rehearsal room. I mean, as you you'll know that really well, Barry. And um, I think. So I, in a way, part of it for me did happen. 
that part of it happened. Mm. Although we didn't get into the rehearsal room, there was an awful lot did go on. I mean, talking about the play, you know, casting, getting the lighting design, getting everything, yeah. So it felt like some of it had already been done in a way. Mm. So I felt I learnt a lot. It's, it's true, isn't it? There's a massive amount of work yeah. goes before you even get into rehearsals, never mind performance, there's a massive amount of work yeah, goes so. But but during that period then, so that was kind of, a, I mean, as a punctuation point, that was the beginning of that stop period that we all experienced in different ways. But I mean, not I'm not to bring us down in any way, because we're now thankfully coming out of that period. But everyone around this table probably had different experiences, either at the Rep or in other theatres or indeed in other locations and different ways of working. A lot of us were working in the digital space um, through necessity. And I wonder if there's any, any learnings from that period of time that, you think either have already stayed with us or we want to stay with us. You know, I'm, I'm always trying to look for the, you know, I'm generally a glass half full kind of guy and I'm always looking for those positive byproducts of, of things. Is there any things that you think that you've experienced that you would like to keep going? I could possibly weigh in on this. I do remember um, coming, I think it must have been about a year into lockdown when we started doing things again but again it was much more digital stuff but um this is when i was working in edinburgh and somebody senior nearby said to me that this is an opportunity to do it differently um because we're getting a chance to recalibrate and and approach it differently not having done a full production process in dundee before this show how you have scheduled to do this per performance in terms of the tech time the shift lengths all that kind of stuff that feels like you've achieved that i don't know if that's something you did before lockdown but how it's laid out in terms of the the spaciousness around giving departments time to do things this that is what i imagined when that person said we need to do this differently because theater traditionally in the technical side of it has often been long days not a lot of sleep that kind of thing um and here it feels like there's enough um gaps in the schedule that people actually can catch up on jobs and um, we can accommodate any problems that might arise and so I don't know if that's a necessarily a, a Dundee rep does it well thing or if it is just that you guys have figured out a new way to do it and it is working really well because the schedule I'm looking ahead at for this next couple of weeks I think looks really good. Well that's, that's great to hear we certainly talked a lot in this period about making sure that people have space because everyone deals with change and of course we've, mm. we've been experiencing massive dynamic constantly changing change in the last two years and people process that in different ways and it causes them different degrees of, of stress anxiety trauma so and the energy uh, levels that people bring back absolutely and allow, yeah. so allowing space for, for processing is really important yeah. and also I mean the bottom line is people don't make their best work when they're feeling stressed or anxious and people talk yeah. about making work under pressure maybe as long as it's creative pressure and yeah. not other kinds of pressure I think so the word pressure kind of I think has taken on a different meaning and not one that necessarily we want to bring into this this new phase I think creating that space around it so whether that's scheduling space psychological space um space to change space to think space to create so and so the yeah. intensity that of that I think that the acting company have for this particular show as well um I can only imagine how draining it must be to do do it once a day, never mind anything else. And traditionally, when you're you know you're working through scenes for um, nine a.m. till ten p.m. kind of thing, uh, I can't imagine doing this show like that. I don't think it would work. <laughs> I yeah. think everybody would be a bit broken. With, with, a, with a play like this, the rehearsal room tends to kind of head towards a gibbering mess by yeah. after four thirty. You don't. <laughs> no, nothing really happens of much use after four thirty. I was going to say, not lunch. in my head anyway. <laughs> 
because <laughs> there's so much thinking. But yeah, any other experiences uh, around the table or two? Things we want to keep, the changes that have happened? or I, mean, I certainly think the, the whole... Um digital side of things you know the the um not just to chronicle a piece but actually you know to actually film it and for it to, to go out as, as content um there has been a i think it's been a real kind of quick learn for a lot of people but i think you know um it's you know it's kind of invaluable um for better or for worse, it is kind of where we're at. You know, obviously, you're doing a show and all of a sudden there's an incidence of illness and the show has to stop. But if you do have other means of actually getting that show out there, not just as a, as a you know, revenue stream, but also just as uh, something for an audience out there who, you know, who are kind of... We'd much rather be in the room with it, obviously, uh, for a piece of live theatre, but if you can't physically do that, to have that other option, I think, is a, a kind of brilliant um, option. And uh, I think we've all, not just here now, you know, I've been involved elsewhere as well, but I think we're all coming around to that way and... Um, I think acquitting ourselves mostly all right. I think <laughs> uh, also use the digital assets redefines what we mean by our audience. Yeah. Because as soon as something's on the digital space, it can be accessed by you know virtually anyone, and suddenly you're getting emails from all around the world saying, oh, I, "I loved that performance of Smile. Barry was just excelled in that part." And you're going, <laughs> you know, <laughs> John, John from Finland, and it's just like you know, it's crazy because they would people wouldn't generally get on a flight to come to Dundee. Sometimes they would, but generally <laughs> wouldn't get on a flight to come to Dundee. But but, but immediately you're, the work's being seen, and and we are our, our audience is, is defined in a completely different way, which of course is fantastic. We can, that reach changes. It's unusual for all these departments to be sitting around one table like this, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> obviously we've all got microphones in our hands as well. That's unusual as well. But just to be able to have this kind of forum to to shape. So around the table, we've got kind of, we've got actors, we've got lighting design, we've got set and costume design, we've got stage management, we've got sound, uh, we've got directing. And um, I'm interested if there are any questions that you've wanted to ask of a department, but never uh, had the opportunity to ask. Or the guts to ask. Uh, the guts meaning because we've all worked in, in, in this industry for quite a long time and sometimes there can be something that you've... I've, I've never asked that question, but I don't really understand that or what happens there or... Side lighting. Simon once said to me, could you um, explain to that actor the side lighting rule? <laughs> and I think it might have been the, one of the first times that we worked together back, you know, probably when we were teenagers. And, uh, and I said, Simon, you might have to explain it to me first. <laughs> um, so side light's interesting because I... I think in some ways it's every actor's worst enemy, but it's also the way that you look best on stage. So it's that slight tension. Um, so side, side light is light that comes from the edges of the performance space. Um, so it's very much in your peripheral vision. And if you're acting on stage, it ends up you end up blocking each other. Obviously, you have to be really careful. And um, the side lighting rule Andrew talks like about is kind of the side lighting dance where you watch two performers <laughs> gradually hop sideways from each other <laughs> until they find an orientation that they can both be lit. So I can imagine that it must be a nightmare to perform in. Um, but I kind of feel there's a director I worked with in Canada who said, I never, I've never met a side light I didn't like. And there is something about side lighting. There's 
a pioneering American dance des lighting designer called Jean Rosenthal, who talked about making the performer appeal jewel-like in the space. So you sparkle in a space like a jewel. And it's about that's about separating the performer from their background. So the performer is brighter than the objects that they're up against. So the when you look at a scene, your eyes immediately drawn to the brightest object in it, and you want that to be the performer that you want the audience to look look at. So I I love a side light because I think it's the way that makes the performers look best in the space. But then it's about a way of achieving that whilst also still allowing the performance to occur. Um, so you can still see each other on stage, so you don't feel that you're constantly fencing with each other in the light. And that that's a process, ultimately. But I would always put in side light for, for that reason that I think it makes people look their best. Well, you've convinced me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll remind you of that in a week's time. <laughs> it's, it's really magical the way the side lighting can create texture in the space as well and kind of just le levels that weren't there when it's when it's flat or, or, or front light. I've certainly learned a lot from talking to you in text about, yeah. about it. Yeah. There's actually been an well, interesting to me process of over the last 30 years in which side light was very much a dance lighting form. And dance was always lit from the sides and theatre was always lit from the front. And what's happened kind of since I've started doing lighting, really, not, not down to me, I hate some to add, but since over that period of time, the style of lighting has been that the way in which you light dance and the way in which you light theatre have started to become more and more joined together. So you can't really go that's a dance lighting design, that's a theatre lighting design, that we we all kind of feed off each other in the way that we do, which I think is very healthy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. sounds yeah. great. I've got another. All right, go, go, for it. It. go for it. I'm just interested in... You're looking at me. Eh? I know I am. <laughs> I'm just interested in, you know, sometimes, and this has not happened at all with you, just he's and dad, but sometimes as actors, we... You know, you get you you arrive on a set, or I mean, you already know it's coming, but you you actually get it physically there, and it and it just seems so hard. It makes your your job so hard. It's so unactor friendly sometimes, occasionally, um, and I just wonder whether that's you know whether that's very big in the mix when you're when you're thinking from the beginning. You know, well, personally, I, I, I do hope. That I I do take that into consideration and I, and I try to imagine myself on it or, or in it, yeah. <laughs> not acting, definitely not acting, but just in the space and understanding the space physically. Because as Simon was talking about the movement of the actors, I think the 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 paths you make for them in a space are really important, and they have to work with the play or the the dialogue. And in this one particularly, although it's very naturalistic, there's paths that you make in that space and I have to make sure that you're that that's a comfortable and natural looking thing for you to do um, I think does that help I mean and I think there's different ways of looking at things that when it's not so naturalistic I think maybe sometimes design the visuals of the design maybe are are overtaken from the whole or the play so I think there's a balance there that you have to always have mm -hmm. And, not, and I've, I've probably done, I'm sure I've done it myself at some point, and all the stuff I've done uh, is maybe going too far the other way. And you, there is something you, you, you realise after you've done it, you go, mm, yeah, I should have pulled back on that, or I should have really taken that into consideration. So you always learn something. Yeah. Well, I always learn something anyway. 
doing things. And you don't always get it right. <laughs> I think, well, I've, I, I don't you think know, that's I, true for all of us, yeah, actually. Yeah, so, no, yeah. it's just sometimes, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, I could have done that better. I could have, if I did it a different way, it would have, yeah... It would have worked better or something. Yeah, definitely. I've got to say, Emily, I have a similar thought goes through my head sometimes when it's with scene changes and things. Yeah. Um, and, and you're like looking at the wing space that you've been left to, to work with. And, yeah. and I, I sometimes wonder, it's like when you're building your model box, um, you, do build, you build the wings. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes yeah. you do, sometimes yeah. you don't. But yeah. I just assume it's going into the festival yeah. theatre in Edinburgh. Yeah. Yeah. That stage left wing that's like a football I'm, pitch. I'm sort of guessing, though, that a, the, a more experienced experienced designer like yourself can you kind of take th those things you are in your head naturally and it, but particularly if you know a space yeah it, it helps well it helps if you know the theater yeah, yeah definitely yeah um but when things are in tour it is that it is yeah. very difficult sometimes because yeah. it's such a variable spaces and, yeah. and it will never work for all the spaces no. never yeah. so you have to be ready for that yeah yeah, yeah. Choose the ones that it works for. <laughs> I've thought of a question I'd like to ask you. If you read so many plays throughout the year, how do you even narrow it down? How do you? What's your process for choosing this play over? There must be millions of plays to choose from, and you, how do you even get anywhere with going? I want to do that one in the summer. Well, it's certainly reading a lot of plays and. Um, shortlisting and then usually bringing it to a group of brilliant actors that I have the pleasure of working with and getting their thoughts on it um, and hearing it out loud and then also being open to, um, you know, it's it's not just me in this organisation and that's what's so special about the, the Rep in Scottish Dance Theatre. It's a very, very collaborative environment. Uh, there's an artistic team. We've got two resident ensembles of artists. We've got brilliant other teams around the building. So there's always a chance to soundboard things and, and test ideas and um, all the artists working in the building are, are, are very, very open to ideas. It's not about who has the best idea. It's like, just let's have them. Doesn't matter where it comes from. Let's get them on the table. And so a lot of the time it will be listening and having conversations. And so, so yeah. But I think the best ideas always come from collaboration. So, so, so coming back to the children then, I wonder what, and maybe I'll just, might go around the table on this one because we're kind of coming, coming to the end of this, of this first podcast of Rep, Rep Sounds. But um, I just want to go around the table, maybe just something about what you imagine the audience experience uh, for the children might be. Some people listening to this podcast will already have seen the show and maybe there'll be some people that are about to see the shows or thinking about it. I'm just wondering if you had one thought about what the audience experience might be and that might be related to your own department or it might just be more something something more general oh <coughs> Andrew you seem to be looking at me um only because she started to speak but yeah oh, go no, no no I was just clearing my throat um um I don't really know I mean it's um it's a very different configuration the way the set is so I think that'll be interesting and we've cr tried to create more of a studio um atmosphere haven't we um in, in, in the actual space make it kind of smaller and and and, and more intimate uh, probably because it is that kind of intimate piece so I'm hoping that that translates into our space so we'll see what happens next week over to you <laughs> <laughs> um I think what what an audience will get is and I think what's brilliant about the piece is that it's there's some enormous themes and ideas being discussed in a very domestic story. And I think that's what's brilliant about it. And it envelops you. I think that's what they'll get. I, I hope that audiences are surprised by it. I think that um, 
I read the children not knowing anything about it. And I think as a script, it takes you on a real voyage of discovery, both in terms of the characters and in terms of the world that those characters live in. So I, I just hope that people can come to it without that surprise being ruined for them and that they can experience it for themselves. Yeah, I, ho I hope the audience feel that they're sitting in the room with them, that they're in the space with the, the performers. I think that's all. It's just as long as they're not getting in the way of me making yeah. my salad. Stay, <laughs> stay away from Irene and her knife. Yeah. It's, it's all about the tuna salad. It's all about the tuna salad. If I was coming to this as an audience member, I would... Um, I would like to be as unbraced as possible because it really kind of hit me in the face emotionally today seeing it. Um, and I think that's how I would like people to see it rather than be like echoing what Simon's saying. Um, it covers a lot of ground. There's, a, there's some themes in it that I didn't think I would find as emotionally affecting. And it's always better watching a group of other people tell me the story than my own voices in my head and all that. Um, so yeah, it's. I hope that it just people find it washes over them and it affects them because it is a great piece and it really is affecting. Um, and it's not at all what I thought it was going to be when uh, I first heard about it. I echo all of the above. <laughs> uh, big cop out. But no, I, I, I genuinely do. I think that everything that has been said around the table already is exactly what I would love. And I just also love an audience in a way to kind of embrace the three characters because the, the three of them are just extraordinary people they're very clever they're very funny they're very um annoying uh they're all these things there but they are incredibly well drawn characters which is a, a bit of a joy when you know you get to play them uh and yeah i would just love the the, the characters as alongside the themes and the story itself to just to kind of chime with an audience. And, I, and I, I think that's, you know, that's what we would all want all the time. But I think it's really, it feels a very special one for me, this one, uh, all three of us. Just realise it's a rookie error going last because you've said everything that I, <laughs> I, I, I And, and to moreover, say. I echoed everyone's as well. So you can't even do that. I can't even do that. I can't say and everything that everyone said before. Thanks. Thanks, Barry. Not a problem. Um, I suppose when reading plays and experiencing plays as an audience member in a theatre are... are are different things and reading a play is not always as satisfying as seeing it but when I first read The Children it, I found it so impactful um, and then working it over the last well four weeks but then before that in pre-production has been so satisfying exciting thrilling surprising and not knowing what was going to happen every day uh, in discussions so the, the bit the next bit now is the the audience and I'm I'm, I'm excited to see the journey an audience goes on with the piece and talk to them about it afterwards that's 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 what i'm really looking forward to now so that's us coming to the end of our first rep sounds uh, podcast so hopefully you've enjoyed it if you haven't it will be the one and only and uh, <laughs> if, if we if we do get some positive feedback it will be hopefully the first of many and um, the last thing i need to do is just thank uh, everyone who's been part of this podcast today so thank you to emily winter barry hunter irene mcdougall simon wilkinson and karen tennant and michael heisman and thank you to kieran martin who's been making us all sound lovely um, until the next time Thank you.